Now, guys, if you've got a Bible, I hope you do. I hope you'll turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, and let me begin reading to you at verse 18. I'll quit at verse 27. You follow in your copies. It reads like this. Now, the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. He turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and paid homage to David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Ornan said to David, take it and let my Lord, the King do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. But David said to Ornan, no, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David paid Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. And David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the, on the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of burnt offering. Then the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back into its sheath. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word endures forever. Guys, this is my favorite part of this whole story about this census uh, that started in verse 1. It's my favorite section of the story. And I'm, I'm going to wager that by the time we're done here, it's going to be your favorite uh, part of the story too. Uh, let's start here. Let's start at verse 18 and s- try to identify who this angel of the Lord is that's introduced in verse 18. Who is the angel of the Lord? Now, guys... Um, I think it was in January, I'm not sure, but I think in January, I spent a whole Wednesday night uh, answering that question. Who is this angel of the Lord? It seems to be a title or a formula. Who is that? Who does that refer to? Now, of course, we don't have time to do the whole thing that I did back in January, but I would like to show you one verse, actually two verses, out of the book of Judges, and I think that will settle the issue at least for most of us. So if you've got a Bible and can find Judges 2 real quick, let me show you what I mean. This is in Judges 2, verse 1. Now, the angel of the Lord, see, there he is again. Who is that? The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, that is, the angel of the Lord said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. So whoever this is, this angel of the Lord is claiming that he's the one that brought them out of Egypt into Canaan. Then he goes on, I will never, um, and that I swore to give him, I said, I will never break my covenant with you. So this angel of the Lord is claiming that the covenant that was made with Israel is, the, is his. Now look over at verse 20, same chapter. Uh, verse 20. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, because this people have transgressed, look here, look here, my covenant, 
<clears throat> now, who's speaking there in verse 20? Well, that would be Yahweh up in the beginning of the verse. So the anger of Yahweh says, you violated my covenant. So over here, the angel of the Lord claims that the covenant is his, and Yahweh claims that the covenant is his. So what do we got? Guys, most people, most theologians that I know of and commentarians would tell you that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. It's called a Christophany. That is that this is prior to his being born in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ shows up, and when he does, he shows up in the Old Testament, and when he does, he is designated by this title, the angel, not, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. So that's who this is. Now, now that we got that settled, let's move on, and here's where the real fun begins. Gang, in verse 18, <clears throat> what you see there taking place in verse 18 is that the remedy for their sin begins to, um, begins to unfold. You begin to get some details about how this sin of Israel's is going to be forgiven. <clears throat> um, peace reestablished between God and Israel is going to take place. How? Well, there's about three things in verse 18 I want you to see. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 18 that the, there is to be an altar built. And the altar is the idea of God's. That is, David didn't come up with this idea. God says to David through Gad, go build an altar at a place where I'll tell you. So, peace between God and men will be affected on an altar. What happens on an altar? Well, sacrifices are made on an altar. Blood is shed. Somebody has to die or something on an altar. And let me say it again. This altar is not David's idea. It's God's. Now, secondly, in verse 18, you will notice that Ornan is a Jebusite. Who's that? A Jebusite were, they were the ancient citizens of Jerusalem before David took over. This Ornan is a Gentile. So even Gentiles are going to be affected by what happens on this altar. Um... Jews don't like to talk about it, but even David has Gentile blood flowing through his veins. You remember his grandmother, uh, Ruth, was a Moabitess. So um, that's the second thing I wanted you to see. But here's the third thing. And this is the thing that I think is um, the most important. <clears throat> there is an altar, to be, an altar to be built. That's God's idea. But the place that it is to be built is also God's idea. Um, at that altar that is to be built on a place that God chooses, there's going to be a couple of things on display. Number one, judgment. Something has to die 
Something has to spill its blood on this altar. Judgment is, is poured out. But after that judgment has been poured out, the second thing that will be on display is forgiveness. All of that beginning right now. No, ladies and gentlemen, this spot identified by God is a spot where sacrifice and forgiveness had been available long before David. You remember that? Remember that story? Oh, it's in Genesis chapter 22. You remember God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your only beloved son, Isaac, and I want you to take him and uh, sacrifice him. I want you to sacrifice him in the land of Moriah. You remember that? And um, <clears throat> right as Abraham's about to kill him, God says, hold on. And he provides a sacrifice, a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham says, oh, this place will, will be the place of Jehovah Jireh. That is, it's the place where God will provide. So this spot that is in view here in 1 Chronicles 21 is the spot where Abraham almost sacrificed his only son. Wait a minute, Dr. Young. I don't see that in the text here. Uh, yeah, Abraham was told to go to Moriah. I don't see that anywhere in here. Okay. Flip over about four pages to 2 Chronicles 3. <clears throat> 2 Chronicles 3. Are you ready? Verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. What? <clears throat> this spot that David just bought from a Gentile is in the land of Moriah. And this is where that altar will be built. Oh, folks, there's more. This site will become the site where the temple is built. So are you still with me? Abraham takes Isaac to sacrifice. No, you don't have to. I'll provide. Jehovah Jireh. Millennia later, David has done this stupid thing in order to census. So, David, I want you to build an altar. Where? Where do you want to build it? Oh, just go to the land of Moriah. And by the way, David says, look at uh, 22.1 in 1 Chronicles. Then David said, here shall be the house of the Lord. That is the temple. So what gets built on this site that used to be owned by Ornan? The temple. <laughs> um, okay. 
the temple gets built on this site uh, in the land of Moriah. So in this story, uh, the altar is built, um, sacrifices are offered on it, um, David calls upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord answers from heaven with fire. Verse 27. And what does that mean? It means that God has accepted David's offering. That the offering at this place is acceptable to God and then forgiveness is granted. And then in verse 27, then the Lord commanded the angel and he put his his sword back into its sheath. God has no more offense against David. It's enough. Sin has been paid for and forgiven. Now, guys, stay with me. Where is it that this meeting between God and man takes place? Well, it takes place in a spot at an altar that God chose and instructed that an altar be built there. Then we're told that this site becomes the spot on which Solomon builds the temple. And what is in that temple? Well, there's a lot of rooms in that temple, but one of them is called the holiest of the holies. And what is in the holiest of the holies? Oh, that would be the Ark of the Covenant. And what happens on the Ark of the Covenant? Oh, once a year, the high priest goes in there and does what? He pours blood on the top. God meets man over shed blood in a spot that he chose in a way that he defines so that men can be forgiven. So how shall the sinner come into God's presence, whether it be Abraham or David or Israel? Well, he has got to come via shed blood at the spot that God chose where there's an offering being made for sin. And guys, why is God willing to meet sinful man at all? Well, that's because of something that's in him. Certainly not something that's in the sinful man. But that meeting that will take place between a holy God and a sinful man 
will take place upon God's initiation according to God's idea at the spot of his choosing at an altar where a sacrifice will be made. Gang, can a sinful man ever approach a holy God? Oh yes. But on God's terms, over shed blood, at the spot that he chose, We're told in the story that Israel, very appropriately, continues to make sacrifices at this altar that David built. That place where forgiveness is found for Israel, David doesn't go back there. He's afraid, and I get that. But the other people continue to sacrifice there. And then as chapter 22 opens, David says, this is the spot where the temple is to be built. And of course, it was his son that ultimately builds it. There, on that spot, that God chose to build an altar to display judgment and forgiveness. What an ending to this story. The sinner is restored. He is restored through a God-appointed sacrifice. Just like in Genesis 22. When Abraham was going to sacrifice, I said, no, you got the wrong one, Abraham. I'll provide the sacrifice. And then David realizes that this spot that Ornan used to own is to be the spot on which the temple is built. And so he announces God's directive to his son. And then his son goes out and builds the temple. Where did he build it? He built it on a spot that God chose. And, and, and what goes on in there in that temple place? Oh, Sacrifices for sin. What a happy ending to this otherwise rather ugly story about a man's pride. But it doesn't end there, does it? There's more. Ladies and gentlemen, perhaps on the same site, but certainly in this same vicinity, another sacrifice was made. Whose? Well, it depends on your perspective. 
you could say it was God the Father's sacrifice because God the Father was the one who sent his only beloved son. Or you could say it was Christ's sacrifice because he's the one that performed it. But however you see it, ladies and gentlemen, the other sacrifice that was made in the land of Moriah was the sacrifice that God provided. at the very same spot that he chose. God sacrificed his son instead of Abraham's. God provided his own substitute. Remember, David in verse 17 offered to be the substitute, and God says, no, David. But God provides his own substitute instead of David. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, the the ultimate remedy for sin would not be Isaac. It wouldn't be David. Or it wouldn't really take place in the temple. It wouldn't be anything else or anybody else. It will only be what God provides that will save Folks, at Calvary in the land of Moriah, the sword was once again taken from its sheath. And there it was used on Christ. David offered to die. But you see, he didn't qualify. Only God's beloved son qualified as a God-provided sacrifice. All of this means, means a couple of things. First of all, God saved Abraham and David the same way he saves us through a sacrifice and a perfect sacrifice there is no other method there is no other spot there is no other place no other deed only there in that spot is sin forgiven It also means this. That the angel of the Lord, of verse 18, came back to this spot centuries later. You see, this wasn't the last time that the angel of the Lord visited the threshing floor at Moriah. But when he came back this next time, he came back not as a pre-incarnate figure. He came back as the infinite God-man. He came back not, not to wield the sword, 
but to have the sword wielded against him. When the angel of the Lord comes back to this place, he's not the one inflicting judgment. He's the one receiving the judgment for sin. My friends, if you've never been to the land of Moriah, go there. Go quickly. And embrace the God-appointed remedy for your sin. At that place, only at that place, and only Christ and Him crucified. Our Father, would you, um, would you show your people all over again the great beauty of the gospel that the way that you have been planning to save is is a method that you have had in mind since before the foundations of the earth that you've had a spot picked out and a sacrifice picked out before we were ever born or before this world was ever flung into existence and that that salvation is being carried out step by step until we find the Savior nailed to a cross in the land of Moriah. Might your people glory in the extremes to which you have gone to see us saved where we gaze once again upon the perfect sacrifice of Christ who died in that place for his people. Father, if you have brought people here today who have not yet met our Savior, would you open their eyes to see the beauty of Christ crucified? Might they leave here today knowing that there is no other remedy, no other place to go, no other spot, no other sacrifice, no other substitute, but Christ. Might you open their eyes to see the beauty of the crucified Christ even now. Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen.